Amen. Well, I have to say, I was expecting that I'd be speaking to two men and a dog this morning because it's the holiday weekend and one of our small groups are away camping. And that is, like I don't know, about 30 or 40 people that are camping. We had the privilege of just going up and hanging out with them yesterday afternoon. It was really fun. I do feel for them a little bit because it's been a bit wet overnight. But um, they were having a great time and just enjoying being with each other. And, and isn't it great to be together this morning? Yes. <laughs> Isn't it great to be together this morning? That's a little bit better. Uh, before I worked for the church, I was a primary school teacher, and uh, I taught for a, a number of years. And when I had Samuel, who is now 12, um, I stopped teaching. And my school said to me, I will keep uh, your job open for a couple of years. And normally you just get one year. And they were like, well, keep it open for two years. And then if you decide to come back, uh, you can come back. And in the meantime, church had offered me a job uh, doing the kids' ministry, and I didn't go back to teaching. Um, however, as a teacher, you have to have two things. First of all, you have to have the qualifications to be able to teach. But you also have to pay £65 a year for being for the privilege of being a teacher, and it's your registration to the General Teaching Council. And so after two years or three years, and I thought, you know what, I probably am not going to go back to teaching anytime soon. I could save myself £65 a year, so I reckon I've saved maybe £650. Yes! Uh, <laughs> however, if I decided that I wanted to go back to teaching now, uh, it isn't that simple, because I now don't have a registration. I'm not registered anymore with the General Teaching Council. Uh, and I would actually need to contact my last head teacher or another teacher and ask them for a letter of recommendation and say, uh, could you recommend me as a teacher? And once they had done that and I jumped through all the many hoops that I probably need to jump through, uh, then I would be able to teach again. But you know, I would so much rather that um, they came and saw what I'd been doing for the last 12 years. Because actually, I've been running assemblies in schools. And most uh, teachers don't really like standing up in front of a whole school and running an assembly. Uh, but I actually really enjoy that. And I've been running um, holiday clubs and, and running a kids' ministry and training people and equipping people. And actually, it would be far better if they came and saw what I was doing than, than took a letter that was written uh, of, of the, my experience from 12 years ago. Because I'm probably quite a different person to what I was 12 years ago. Today we're going to be reading uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 18. And last week, James touched on the little bit just before that uh, in his sermon, which is uh, verses 1 to 6. Just to give you a little bit of background, Paul uh, was... We know who Paul was. He was a Damascus Road experience guy uh, who was persecuting Christians and then had an amazing experience of God and his life totally transformed. And he went around uh, telling people about Jesus. But what had happened to Paul was that people were accusing him of two things. The first thing they were accusing him about was that he wasn't the genuine real deal, that he was a bit of a fake and a phony. And then the second thing, the Jews were accusing him of not preaching the law anymore. And so his response to that was this little bit in uh, 2 Corinthians, verse 3, and then verses 2 to 3. He says, but you yourselves, he's talking to the church, are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets 
of human hearts. And you know, just like with my teaching registration, I'd much rather that people came and saw what was happening or had happened in the hearts of the children that I've been speaking to and teaching in the last 12 years. Paul's saying, do you know, church, I'd rather that you looked at what was going on in the hearts of the people in our church. And so this morning, what I've entitled this uh, sermon is, what letter is Jesus writing on your heart? What is the letter of recommendation that Jesus is writing on your heart? You know, I found it a massive challenge when I was thinking about our church and thinking, would I say to our people, what, like if people were accusing me and Archie of being phonies, well, just come and look at our church. Just come and look at what the Lord is doing on the hearts of the people in our church. Because it's not about a piece of paper and a qualification. It's about our relationship with Jesus. And therefore, what we can... Uh, spend time speaking to you about and praying that the Lord will do transforming work in your heart. So we're going to read together 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7 to 18 which is the bit after that little bit. The greater glory of the new covenant and it should come up on the screen as well. Yeah. Now if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, it's interesting that words come up a bit this morning, isn't it? We are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away? Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are also being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit. Ah, I was about to get a tissue for my nose. There is no tissue on the table. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Do you know I'm just going to pray? Lord, I just want to bring before you the words that you've written on my heart this week. And Lord, I pray that you would use it for your glory. Lord, I pray that anything that isn't of you, Lord, I just pray that it would fall away. And anything that is of you, Lord, that it would stick. Because Jesus, it's all about you. And it's all about your glory. And Lord, we want you to do an incredible work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. A little bit of a runny note. So what letter is Jesus writing on our hearts? 
I feel like Jesus is writing a letter of grace on our hearts. In the first part of the passage that we look at, Paul is making two comparisons. First of all, he's talking about when Moses received the tablets, when he received the Ten Commandments. Now, this was, he's talking about a part in Exodus 34 that you can look back and read, but I'll just summarize it briefly for you. Basically, what had happened was Moses had got so cross with the people not obeying the commandments that he'd thrown the the tablets on the ground and they had broken. And so what he'd done is he'd gone back up the mountain to spend time with God. And he had spent 40 days and 40 nights up the mountain. And he'd had the tablets rewritten. He'd rewritten the tablets, the stone tablets. He'd written the Ten Commandments back on them. And when he came down from the mountain, as he came down, his face was glowing because he'd been in God's presence. And then the Israelite people, the people of God, had met him at the bottom of the hill. And you know, they were so scared by the brightness of what was happening on his face that he felt like he needed to cover it. He needed to put a veil over it. And only when he went back into God's presence then did he take off the veil. Then as he came back out of God's presence, he'd put uh, the veil back over his face. And you see, what, we t- what he's, Paul is talking about here is what we call the Old Covenant. It's a covenant of law. So it was the, all, the, all the laws that were written down. And actually, it's a law that was bringing death. So if you look at Exodus 35, just after he came down with the tablets, uh, he said this. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days... Work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. You know that what used to happen is when they had sinned, they would take their most perfect piece of livestock, normally uh, a sheep, and they would take it into the temple and the priest would sacrifice it to make atonement for the things that they had done wrong. And this was the first bit of, the, uh, of the, what Paul was comparing. He was talking about the old covenant. He was talking about the law. And then he talks about the new covenant. And the new covenant is Jesus. You see, what Jesus did for us is absolutely magnificent. Because Jesus was fully God and fully human. And he was absolutely perfect. And he died a death, a harrowing death on a cross for every single thing that we have done wrong so that we could be in relationship with God. And it is all about grace. It's about what Jesus has done for us, not about what we do to make sure that we strive, to make sure that we uh, carry out those Ten Commandments. It's about what Jesus has done for us. Grace is not getting what we deserve. And actually, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And we all deserve death. But Jesus took that death on himself so that we could have life forever with him in eternity. And so he was talking about these two things. I'm uh, not the best gardener in the world, but I do quite like plants. Uh, However, our house only has uh, two plants in it (laughs) because I'm not very good with plants. One of the plants has been there since before we moved house. So it's probably been there, I don't know, 11 or 12 years. And the plant is no bigger 
than the plant was <laughs> when we first got it. In fact, it's probably smaller. It's one of those beautiful peace lilies that has like uh, beautiful, what they call flowers. <laughs> but you know, since we got it, we, <laughs> we had these lovely flowers on it and we have not had those flowers again since we got that peace lily. <laughs> the reason that the peace lily is still alive and probably the only reason that the peace lily is still alive is because when the peace lily needs watering, anyone else got a peace lily? Yeah. What happens when the peace lily needs watering? Maybe yours never needs watering because you're so good with them. What happens to them? Yeah, they go. <laughs> they don't die, but they like totally wilt and look exhausted and like they're going to die. And so you water it, and then it's like this miraculous thing. You wake up the next morning, and the peace lily is like, oh, I'm here. But it hasn't grown at all. <laughs> and it's still the same size, if not smaller, than it was when I first got it. However, we contrast with that. This last year, we've been doing a little bit of work on the garden, and we had bought some plants, <laughs> which was a brave thing in the first place, considering what I'm like with my peace lily. And we bought these plants, and we decided we were going to put them in the garden. And the one plant I was really excited about was this rhododendron. It's a miniature rhododendron. And I planted it in the garden. I made sure it was in a really good position, planted it in, and I have done zero to it since. The Lord has done an amazing work watering it and making sure the sun is shining. And do you know, this year, it has had the most beautiful flowers on it. And I have done literally nothing to this peace lily. Uh, to the rhododendron. Now, I haven't pretty much done nothing to the peace lily as well, let's, let's be honest. In verse 16, there is one word that sticks out to me. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The word is turn. All we have to do is turn to the Lord. All we have to do is position ourselves in the right place, just like my dear rhododendron. And then actually, it's for the Lord to do the rest. And you know, as I was preparing this today, I was wondering whether some of us are finding it difficult to receive God's grace. To understand that it's not about striving to gain approval. It's not about what you've done, but it's about what Jesus has done for you. Stop striving. He's done it. He's done it. And I wonder particularly whether there was someone here who had always been striving for the affection of their earthly father. And as a result, they feel like they still need to strive for the affection of a heavenly, our heavenly father. But you don't. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done. And you know, if that's you, we would really... Uh, love to pray with you. I also felt challenged when people look at me and when they look at my heart, do they see a letter of grace? How gracious am I to people when they do wrong to me? Do I give them what they deserve? Or do I offer them the grace that I've so freely received? Lord, I want to say sorry for the times that I haven't been gracious. For the times when I've tried to pay back the hurt that people have done to me. Lord, I pray that as I receive your grace, as we as a family receive your grace, would we be able to pour that out to the people around us.
Amen. The second letter or second thing that I feel like uh, highlights to me is one of the things that uh, Jesus is writing on our hearts is a letter of freedom. I love, honestly, can I just say, Lynn, your set list could not have been more uh, specific to what people are going through in this room and to uh, actually what we're speaking about this morning. So I just want to commend you. Let's give Lynn a really big cheer. You know, the worship team spend a lot of time preparing before a Sunday. They take time in the week. They meet on a Thursday. They practice. They decide on their songs uh, prayerfully before the Lord. And I just... That it was just perfect for today. So the Lord's really speaking to you. So just say, keep going. Keep listening to what he's saying. Because it said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. We've just been singing that. Do we actually mean what we've just been singing? We've just been singing who the Son sets free. The Son is Jesus. Oh, is free, we're free indeed. And it's we. It's us as the people. In verse 17, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. All we have to do is turn to the Lord. All we have to do is turn to him. As I was preparing this preach, I feel like the Lord's been doing something in my heart. And actually, um, what happens in church is we've got some associate pastors and they're responsible for different aspects of the church. And James Juice is responsible for the teaching and preaching Uh, in our church and so occasionally he'll gather together a few of us uh, who are preaching on the same passage and we'll look at it together and we'll decide what we feel like the Lord's saying to us individually but uh, as we look at the passage we look at the theology of it and uh, what he might be saying anyway he'd called this meeting and said oh this person this person this person if you'd all like to come to the meeting you're all going to be preaching on the same topic and if I'm honest with you I just thought Another meeting. I really don't need another meeting. And I think that I can just do this myself. Me and the Lord is fine. I don't need anybody else. Do you know what? That was the biggest, hugest dollop of pride. Who do I think I am? I thought that I had all the answers. And I realized that the Lord was pointing out to me that actually there's been pride running through my life. And that was all very well. But do you know what? This has probably been the hardest sermon I've ever had to prepare. (laughs) I felt like, Lord, you are really teaching me a lesson here because I'm finding it really difficult to work out what you're saying to me. And it's because I had this massive bit of pride that I thought I could do it in my own strength. But do you know, it wasn't enough recognizing there was pride in my life. Because as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, I'm still finding this really hard. I really rec- recognize that there's pride in my life, but I'm still finding it really hard. And I realized, actually, I needed to repent of that pride. And so I sat on my bed as I was <laughs> writing my sermon, and I was like, Lord, there is pride in my life, and I'm sorry. And you know, from that moment when I brought that pride to Jesus, and I said to him, please forgive me from it, I felt like the most amazing amount of freedom to carry on writing my sermon. Isn't that amazing? And uh, I don't know why we're surprised by that. But you know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so I would recommend first thing in the morning when you get up, you say to the Lord, Lord, what freedom do you want to bring to me today? So the first thing is there's freedom from sin. 
And the second thing is there's freedom to be bold. You see in verse 12 it says that since we have such a great hope, we are very bold. We aren't like Moses who had to put a veil over his face to stop the Israelites noticing the glory uh, fading away. We can be bold with what it is that the Lord's doing in us. I went to an all-girls secondary school, and it wasn't until sixth form that I was in a mixed setting again. And uh, boys were very exciting to me at that point because I hadn't really seen a boy apart from my little brother (laughs) and the boys in church uh, for quite a long time. And so I was doing um, geography, and amazingly, geography seemed to have the most boys in the class. And there was a boy that I thought was very attractive. He was a very good-looking boy. Uh, I mean, he was very tall, so it was actually like he was a man. And um, I remember thinking, oh, he's really nice. But there was a girl in my class who actually also loved Jesus and it was the most beautiful girl outside but also inside. And I remember thinking, oh, he'll probably like her. And my family are blessed with some kind of Roman gene, I reckon, because we have the like biggest noses in the history of all noses. And uh, I, I remember really vividly when this boy was sitting on this side of me, I would put my elbow on, on the table and I would sit like this so that he couldn't see how massive my nose was. <laughs> it's actually a true story. Thank you. My family are actually all jealous of my nose because they say mine's the smallest, but it still feels massive. I did, I did actually have a little look online <laughs> to see what the perfect nose shape was. Oh, I won't bore you with what I found. <laughs> anyway, I'm totally getting off my point, and I can't remember even what my point was anymore. <laughs> I wonder, my point is, huh? Archie's rival, yeah. Archie is far better. You're far better looking as well. For the tape, he said he imagined that. (laughs) Anyway, the point is, I wonder whether some of us are trying to cover up who we really are. I wonder whether some of us are trying to uh, look for the affirmation of man instead of the affirmation of God. I was worried about what this guy would think of my (laughs) external features (laughs) rather than who I was. The Lord is writing a letter of freedom on our hearts so that we might reflect his glory. And it's only because of his gracious kindness and his incredible power that we can have freedom. We need to be bold to share Jesus with the people around us. But do you know that should be happening because of what's happening in our hearts? that we should be reflecting his beautiful glory as we speak to people and as we meet people. And finally, I felt like maybe Jesus is writing a letter of transformation. We see in this passage that we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The transformation is active. You see, we notice here that Paul's talking in the present tense. He uses the word being transformed, not you've been transformed, 
but we're being transformed into ever-increasing, ever-increasing. It's still happening. Glory. I love that that means that this transformation that he's doing in me isn't finished yet. I really love a house project. (laughs) And... uh, I love the new. So we've like redecorated our bedroom three times. We've only been in our house 10 years or something. Um, And I'm always thinking, oh, I wonder what we could do to make this better or this nicer. And and I I am very much an ideas person and love the new and love the ideas. And uh, we had our extension done probably about three years ago now. And we had this massive room. Most of you have been there and seen it. But it's like seven meters across by four meters deep and probably almost as high as it is deep and we decided we were just going to paint it in white and so I was so enthusiastic I had like my painting clothes on and tipped out the white paint had my brush and my roller at the ready and we did the first coat and I was like oh look at the transformation that's happening in this room and then we were like oh we've got to do another coat we've got to do another coat we've got to do another coat and my excitement for the decorating and the transformation of this room was lacking somewhat. And poor Archie pretty much had to finish off the job while I sat and watched him <laughs> do it. Isn't he a hero? You can give him a wee cheer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You come and help, didn't you? Well done, Chris. You cheered him on, yeah. <laughs> what I love about the fact that Jesus is transforming us is that there is new all the time. That he's doing something new in us all the time. And we can look at people who have been Christians for years and years and years and we can think, oh, they've got it all sorted. But the transformation is always happening. It says that in in 1 John 3 verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So we're not going to be like Jesus till we're with Jesus face to face, which means that there is always new and there is always transformation. I became a Christian when I was three, and I am now 38, so 35 years on, and I realize I've got a dollar of pride in my life. I'm sure there's still hundreds of things that he still needs to do in me. And I just wonder whether some of us are feeling a little bit stagnant and like, Oh, I feel like it's just a plod, going to church on a Sunday, doing the week. It shouldn't be like that with a real living journey of faith with Jesus. Because he is always transforming us. We are always being transformed into an ever-increasing glory. What do we have to do? We just have to turn. We just have to open up our hearts to Jesus. Say, Jesus, what do you want to do? And so um, at the end of the service, we're going to make an opportunity for ministry. And if you just want to position yourself before Jesus, if you just want to say, I am turning to you today, Jesus, to do whatever you want to do, to do some incredible transformation in my heart, We would love for you to go over to the side. And then someone who's a regular part of church will just stand with you. And I don't want that person really to say very much because actually it's not about what we say, is it? It's about what Jesus wants to do in our hearts. And so, of course, pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and do whatever he wants to do. But then wait. See what he wants to do. 
So the transformation is active. But also the transformation is lasting. It says that whilst the glory of the old covenant on Moses' face was fading, the glory that we will display will be lasting. That's in verse 11. When I was about 12, we were in a church very similar to Catalyst Vineyard Church. And uh, it was about the time of what people would call the Toronto Blessing, when basically um, people were just inviting the Holy Spirit to come, and, and stuff happened that seemed to me to be a little bit wacky. And I remember saying to my mom and dad, I don't understand this. One, it's not happening to me. And two, um, is this real or are they just making it up? And I remember my mom and dad being very wise, as they are. And I remember them saying to me, Jude, you will know that it's the Lord working if it's lasting. You'll know if it's the Lord working if you see the fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If our lives are being transformed by Jesus, it will be lasting. What the Israelites saw on Moses' face was outward and it was temporary. What Jesus can do in our lives is lasting. Everlasting. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And we're not going to be like him until we meet him face to face. And you know what? We want this church to be a place where we invite the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. To do a transforming work in our hearts. And as Archie and I were chatting about this passage this week, He's very helpful when it comes to theology and looking at the old and the new covenant. I was getting myself all tangled up in knots about it, but he did a great job of helping me with that. But I was saying to Archie, isn't it amazing that Jesus had 12 random misfits with all different kinds of jobs, with different kinds of backgrounds, and the work of the Lord in them, the transforming power in them, has meant that the church has been built across this world. There are more than 12 of us in this room today. If the Lord does an everlasting, transforming, freeing work in our midst, imagine what could happen. Imagine what could happen. All we have to do is position ourselves before Jesus. So if the band uh, would like to come back up, we've got plenty of time for some ministry. And uh, I just felt particularly that word about um, striving and feeling like um, really that, that you don't understand grace in a way. You're still striving for the hev your heavenly Father's affection. We want to pray and ask the Lord to bring freedom in that aspect of your life today. The other thing was that whole stagnant thing. That whole, like, I feel like I'm stagnant and uh, things aren't moving in my walk with Jesus. So we would really love to pray with you this morning. We're just going to invite the Lord to come and do whatever he wants to do. And we can know that he is kind and that he is good and that he is moving and that he is active. And I want to encourage you, if there's lots of tears, that's totally fine. There's lots of snot, that's totally fine. We can mop up puddles off the floor. 
If there's nothing, that's also totally fine. Because the Lord promises that he's doing something. And so we trust in his promises. His promises, as we sang earlier, are yes and amen. 